You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are studying a great New Testament book of the Bible, James, written by Jesus' brother. After Jesus had died, rose, returned to heaven, and James is looking at how faith works. In other words, how do you live a life with God? And this week, we deal with a subject of how faith works with people who are different than us. And if you have someone who annoys you, frustrates you, troubles you, and you brought them to church with you, good for you. Don't raise your hand because we'll know who you're talking about. So what happens in life? There's always a person or a group of people or a kind of person that drives us crazy, annoys us, gets under our skin. And the question is, as Christians, what do we do with those kinds of relationships? Now, what happened in the early church, it was much the same. The Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. The rich and the poor didn't get along together. Slave and free, they weren't on the same team. And what happens? All of a sudden, Jesus returns to heaven. He sends down the Holy Spirit. And guess who shows up in church? A bunch of people who really don't know each other, don't like each other. So here's the Jew and the Gentile and the rich and the poor and the slave and the free. It's like, what are you doing here? Well, God's my father. Oh, well, he's my father too. I guess that means that we are brothers and sisters in this great, big, crazy family called a church. Now, we know, we all know that there is division and judgment out there. So how do we have unity and mercy in here? As James starts the second chapter, the big idea is don't look down on them, look up to him. Here's how he starts the second chapter. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. That's prejudice. That's prejudgment. He goes on and he says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor at my feet. In other words, hey, can you get on your hands and knees? I kind of need a coffee table. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so what he's talking about here is one of the ways we have social pedigree and a pecking order is in your seating. You see, in that day, if you're in the synagogue, which is like their version of church, you literally paid for your seat. So imagine, for you to come to church today, you had to go to Ticketmaster, <laughs> and you had to purchase a seat. And of course, you'd want to get a good seat, an already numbered seat, so that you could arrive late, it wouldn't be a problem. 
Oh, and then you'd have a parking stall already designated for you, and they'd hand you a bottle of water as you came in. Meanwhile, those who can't afford it are standing up in the back. That's the way it would work. So you would know who the rich and the poor are. Imagine someone coming into the church today and saying, hey, I'm new. Where do I sit? I don't know. How much do you make? See, we have a tiered seating based on income. Look, sometimes we get it. That's the way it works in the world. You get what you pay for. But when you come to church and your family, it should be different. I mean, how many of you, you go to a big family dinner, you're not seated according to income, right? Like, how much do you make? Okay, you sit by me. You make how much? <laughs> you're at the kid's table. What James is saying is when someone walks into God's house, there's a reason why we don't charge. It's free. It's what God's grace is all about. It's a free gift. Our God does grace. In heaven, you don't pay for anything. Jesus has already paid for everything. That's how you're saved and what happens once you enter the kingdom of God. But what he's saying is that unfortunately we are conditioned when we are in the world to judge people simply by some externals. We look at the outward. We don't look at the inward. We don't really get to know who they are. We just judge by what we see. Okay, so let me ask you. Let's talk about this for a moment. You don't have anything else to do. So what are some of those things where we tend to look outwardly and rush to judgment, determining based on just the things that we see, whether we want to know that person or not. What are the things we look for? What are the things we look at? Maybe number one is bling. Let's just go ahead and say that. Yeah, what are you wearing? Did you get that watch at Walmart or is it a name brand? There are certain indicators of status and income. Jewelry, accessories, clothing. Another one is, what car do you drive? Another one, where do you live? What about, who do you hang out with? Who's in your social circle? Where do you work? What do you do for a living? And let me tell you this. A lot of people who appear to be doing well have a lot of debt. They are lying by financing. And they are projecting a lifestyle that they can't really afford what James is saying is that when we come together, as we look, we tend to look down on people who we think are less than us. And that leads us to arrogance and pride. Like, I'm smarter than you. I'm, I'm better looking than you. I'm more successful than you. So we look down on people. And the key to stop looking down on people, he says, is to look up to the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James is calling his own brother basically the Lord of glory. Lord means that Jesus Christ is right now ruling and reigning. He is the highest authority in all of the universe. It says repeatedly in the Bible that Jesus right now is in the unseen realm, high and exalted, seated on a throne. In 17 of the 22 chapters of Revelation... 
and 45 times in total throughout the New Testament, it talks about Jesus on his throne ruling and reigning as king of kings and lord of lords, ruling over heaven and earth and all authority and having all dominion. So all worship, all glory, all honor, all obedience goes to Jesus on the throne. And all authority, all dominion, all rule comes from Jesus on the throne. And we're so worried about where we sit in the organizational chart or the family or in ministry that we tend to forget that all of our seats are under his throne and his throne is ultimately the one that we need to pay most attention to. And what that means is that if you are impressed with yourself, the quickest way to solve that is to look up to him and realize I'm not a big deal. He is. My group is not all that impressive. He is. Glory is about when you see someone or something that causes you to, to notice that it, it, because it, it's beautiful, it's majestic, it's, it's um, overwhelming. And it gives you a right sense of being loved, but not being the center of it all. That is reserved for Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And the problem is too many people tend to think that Jesus is still in humility, not in glory. Right now, Jesus is not poor. He is rich. He's not in humility. He's in glory. Right now, he is not working as a carpenter. He is ruling as the Lord. Right now, he is not being used and abused. He is being worshiped and adored. And not only is Jesus in glory, he has gone before us to prepare a place for us in glory. So it doesn't much matter what you make. It doesn't matter much where you live or what you drive, what you wear, how you look today. Today is a brief moment. The Bible calls it a, a little while. And then you go before the throne of Jesus and he's going to reward all that you have had to endure in this life for him. And if you belong to Jesus, you get a new seat. He says this, Jesus does in Matthew 19, in the new world, when the son of man, he's talking about himself, will go to his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones. Now, I don't want to minimize, dismiss anyone's suffering in this life. But at the end of time, Jesus will say, everything that you've been through, I faithfully reward and I have a throne for you and what happens in this life is that everyone's trying to climb up the ladder and what Jesus says is when all is said and done I reward everyone according to obedience and faithfulness so what James is saying is stop looking down on them and start looking up to him James continues, listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? 
Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him, that is Jesus, of whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you know, like, all right, there's good people and bad people. I prefer people like me, and I judge people like them. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as law breakers. What he's talking about is outward versus inward. It's fine to have outward, okay? You have money, great. If God has provided you with a, with a great lifestyle, awesome. We're not against that. God's not against that. But we need to be careful to pay attention on the inside. Do you love God? Do you have character? Do you have integrity? Are you open to what God will do through you to make a difference in the world? Because what he's talking about is that the world pretty much just cares about money. And if that's us, James says, then we are those who fall in the category of those who level judgments against other people that have evil thoughts, he said. What we are doing in that case is we are just looking at people for how they can benefit us. So basically, we look at everybody as a bank account, not as a human being. And as a result, we can overlook some of the best human beings because some of the best human beings don't have a great bank statement, but they are rich in faith. This is the economy that God cares about. Not just the external, but the internal. So here's the big idea. Who you are is more important than what you have. And the truth is that life is not necessarily improved by generating more wealth. It's by having better relationships. So if you're looking for a spouse, you better look inward. You're looking for a friend, you better look inward. You're looking for a group to hang out and do life with, you better look inward instead of just outward. So it's all about being rich in faith, rich in integrity and character. So the question is not if you are rich or poor, but are you godly or ungodly? Now, if you're wealthy, can you be godly? Absolutely. How did you come by that wealth? Was it done honestly? Do you tithe to the Lord? Are you a good steward? Are you generous? That's being godly. If not, that's ungodly. So how did you obtain and how do you disperse or steward your wealth, your possessions, your affluence? And you know what? You can be rich or poor financially. It doesn't really matter. The question is the same. Are you godly or ungodly? Next, there, so some people are rich and some people are poor. But what James says is, if you are God's children, there's one thing that we can all be rich in, and that's love. So he quotes the Lord Jesus. He quotes his big brother. You may recall a time in the Gospels where the religious leaders come to Jesus, and they're like, okay, We've been reading the first five books of the Bible. They would refer to that as the law, the law of Moses. And of course, the real studious types have numbered and memorized all of the laws. By the way, there are 613 of them. And so they go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, that's a long list of laws. Can you just tweet that for us? In other words, just put it in a bite-sized summary. And here's what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Jesus says, if you will love God and you will love people, the rest will just come into place. So you may not be a wealthy person, but you can be lavishly generous in love. You may not have significant gifts to give. If you do, you should. But we can all give love. That's the one thing that this world doesn't understand. Because God is love. That's where it comes from. And God pours his love into our lives through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. What that means is that we have a limited resource, uh, resources of finances. But we have an unlimited resource of love. It comes from God. And he's saying that when we come together as God's people, when we do life together as God's people, we shouldn't be judging one another. We should be loving one another. It shouldn't be about showing favoritism. It should be about outdoing one another in love. And so what he's talking about here is love. Love means you are my priority. Previously, he said that if we show favoritism, that's being judgmental and evil and selfish. How can you benefit me? But love is, how can I benefit you? See, Jesus came down to earth not to be served, but to serve. Not to take, but to give. That's the essence of the Christian life. Think about this. What Jesus always chose when faced with, is it best for him or is it best for us? When it came time for him to go to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus was stuck between what is best for him and what is best for us. What is best for him is not endure the wrath of the Father and go to the cross. What is best for us is that he would go, take our place, pay the penalty for our sin. We would not have to face the wrath of God, that he would do that for us. He would forgive our sin and conquer death. So in that moment, he had to choose between what was best for him and what was best for us. What did he choose? What was best for us? That God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the Apostle Paul, Romans 5.8. That no one has greater love than this than to lay down their life for their friends. That's Jesus recorded in John 15. Jesus' life and death were for you, and he loves you, and he did what was best for you. So if you want to grow as a loving person, the most important thing you can do is to figure out the people in your life, what does love look like for them? Jesus says, love your neighbor. So who is your closest neighbor? It's your spouse and your kids. Love your spouse, love your kids, go on to love some other people, but it starts at home. And you may need to ask a hard question. Do you feel loved by me? It's a hard question because you may not get the answer you were expecting. The point is this. Judging someone is easy. 
Loving someone is hard. It takes work, patience, wisdom, and a whole lot of selflessness. And that's exactly what God is calling us into. Look, relationships are messy. God knows that better than anyone. Think of the mess that we have made of our relationship with him. And he still loves us and tolerates us and forgives us and wants to be in a relationship with us. This leads us to our final verses for today where we discover the world runs on judgment. The church runs on mercy. James continues, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Like you could say, you know what? I I read the whole Bible. I didn't miss a single thing. I did it all except, well, okay, there was one thing. (laughs) Even if you could say that, you still failed. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you should not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do commit adultery, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment here's the way we tend to think there are good people and there are bad people and of course I'm one of the good people and if there are people different than me then they're the bad people I don't really know them I'm going to judge them I'm going to show partiality against them I'm going to compare myself to them so that I look good By the way, that's what most of social media is. Every day it's, well, who's worse than me that I can draw attention to them and no one has to pay attention to my life, I mean my real life. We tend to judge the outward, not the inward. And what James says is that Jesus works totally differently. The God of the Bible works totally differently. That God rules and reigns through perfect, unchangeable, fixed laws. And you and I are judged by Jesus according to those laws. And what he's saying is that we tend to think of people in their life like on a scale. Like they could be graded. You know, like from an A to to an F. So you think, okay, Mother Teresa. Okay, she's an A. Billy Graham. A, Hitler, F. So I've got to be at least a B, right? And God looks down and he doesn't see it that way. He sees pass or fail. If you're perfect, you pass. If not, you fail. And God is not just judging our outside, just what others see in us. He's judging our inside. So James mentions murder, adultery, and his big brother Jesus took it a step further. He said, it's not just what you do with your hands, it's what you do with your heart. 
So in hearing that, that means that we have gone from judging others to allowing him to judge us. And as soon as we do that, we realize we are sinners. We have fallen short of God's word. We have fallen short of God's law. We have fallen short of God's standard. And so what he says is we deserve judgment. Guilty people deserve some sort of consequences for their sin. We are all guilty. So what do you do with that? Some of you here, you may not yet be a Christian. Let me speak to you for a moment. Or maybe you're like a prodigal. You, you had faith at one point in time in your life, but you've walked away from it for a while. And maybe you would say, you know what, I'm really not a bad person. Look, nobody's perfect. That's the non-theological way of saying I'm a sinner. There is one person who was and is perfect, and we murdered him. That's how imperfect we are. His name is Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to God's law and his law judging us, and us being imperfect and sinful because we have broken God's law, both externally by the things that we do and internally, it only comes down to two options, he says. So if that's you, this is the most important thing you'll ever hear. This is the most important decision you will ever need to make. Are you going to proceed forward toward judgment? Or will you give God, the opportunity to give you mercy. Either God judges you or God comes to give you mercy and Jesus is judged in your place. That's what Jesus came to do. The story of Jesus is this, that he didn't just stay up there to judge us. He came down here to serve us. He came down to love us. He came down to substitute himself for us. The story of Jesus is this. He is God who became a man. He lived the only perfect life, the only one without sin. And he went to the cross and he died in your place for your sin and took on the judgment of God, which is right and good. At the cross, all of my sin was placed on Jesus and he gave me all of his mercy. The idea is we are all guilty. The question is, will it end in judgment or will it end in mercy? This is where you need to make a decision. Whether you will give Jesus your sin and receive from him his mercy or that you will continue in your path that leads to judgment. So even now, even in the quiet of your heart and mine, you go, you know what? I'm a sinner. Jesus is my Savior. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me and give me that mercy. And I'm grateful that you took on my judgment. As the praise team comes back and about to close out, let me, let me just say this. Here is a promise I can make to you. That anyone 
who turns to Jesus, Jesus will never turn away. And this would begin your eternal life now. You see, your eternal life doesn't begin the moment you die. Eternal life begins the moment you meet Jesus. And you can become a person who is no longer headed toward judgment. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants a relationship with you. Won't you invite him in? We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.